All right, fellas, welcome to the second episode of our 2020 season of the pod. Today with me, our very beloved commissioner, the one, the only, the weed man, Cody Young. How's it going, Cody? Oh, you don't have to talk me up like that. (laughs) Dude, I'm just gassing you up. You need it. (laughs) Doing well, how are you? Doing well, buddy, doing well. Glad to have you on. Glad to uh, have a little bit of... Um, rekindling of hope for what a baseball season could be for this year. Looks like we might not go without. Um, it's exciting in the context of our fantasy league so that we're not just sitting around uh, twiddling our thumbs and hoping we get to make trades or anything like that. But um, Yeah, so really excited about some of the news we've had. I don't know if you saw, but um, earlier this week, um, there were a few tweets that came out from different reporters, Trevor Plouffe, um, and um, another ex-MLB player who I guess have turned into reporters recently, and a, and a couple other guys who kind of validated what they were saying, um, said that it, they've heard from several different uh, sources, which could go either way. You don't know how substantiated that is, but um, about a new proposal for a 2020 season, which basically would have us looking at spring training beginning on June 10th. Um, opening day on July 1st, they would do an abbreviated 80 game season. Um, they would just resume with traditional divisions. So there was a lot of talk before about keeping everybody in Arizona and changing divisions entirely. Um, and all the teams would be able to play in their home parks. Some probably more than others based on how cities are doing, um, in their pandemic response. But, um, so all in all, a much more, uh, similar form of baseball to what we've had recently, just an abbreviated season. Um, so what's kind of, I don't know, have you, have you heard much about that? What's your take on that? Uh, it's kind of a moving target. It's changed every few weeks on us. So do you think this one has much of, of a chance to stick? Yeah, I can't lie. After your first sentence, I've been Googling Trevor Plouffe. I had no idea he stopped <laughs> playing and was a reporter now. <laughs> I uh, I didn't know. Why. I just see him pop up on Twitter every once in a while. And I'm, and then I saw that and other people started retweeting yeah, him I, like, I yo, Trevor had it tweet. first. <laughs> yeah, I saw that same tweet, but I didn't. I thought he was like at spring training ready to come back as another like mediocre bench bat like he's been for the last five years maybe he will yeah we can't rule it out yet now (laughs) yeah no um that would be i'd be fine with that i've seen the what the the florida league and the arizona league and i've also seen some kind of weird three-headed league rumor and then i've seen back to normal but it'll be like two months late so i've seen a few different things i'm pretty confident they'll find some way to play the season i think they want the money too much to not have any games and the fact that the other sports were already like three fourths over tells me that they may cut it short and just go to playoffs. But since baseball hasn't even started, I assume they'll start late and just try to pack as many games in as they can. So I'm I'm confident sometime in July we'll probably have baseball for real. Maybe that's spring training at the end of June or spring training for two weeks at the beginning of July. So that's where I'm thinking we're going to be at. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping for that as well. I know there's a lot of wacky um... – you said a lot of the wacky kind of ideas they had with divisions, which I personally wasn't a fan of because every team in the league has been making roster decisions this offseason and the past several seasons based on their likelihood of making playoffs considering the other teams they have in their division. So then just to switch that up I think would have been a little bogus. But 
Um, it just seemed, yeah, a lot of kind of desperation throws for let's get a season together, but it seems like they're starting to kind of settle, um, to making it as, especially as this is kind of dragged on, it's been less likely that they can start immediately as well as it's been more likely that, you know, maybe they can return to their home fields. It's, it's looking like we'll have a pretty normal season, which means, um, I mean, for our sake with fantasy sports at the very minimum, even though it's going to be 80 games, players, um, projections likely won't change that drastically as opposed to if they were playing all of their games in Arizona or, you know, random, um, spring training stadium, spring training stadiums in, you know, Florida. Um, so that shouldn't alter things too much. I mean, beyond that, what are some of, you know, possible implications for, uh, for fantasy sports sake that you could see coming from this kind of proposal? Yeah, the things I've heard uh, have been the Rockies not getting their giant boost. Obviously, they don't get to play in their sweet, sweet home park for half their games. Yeah. And then the other one I've heard a lot is prospects, either for better or worse, usually for better, thinking if prospect time is going to be screwed anyway, then we may get a bunch of guys from double-A and triple-A that would have been held down for service reasons that are going to be called up anyway because they're not they're going to lose that year no matter what, so you might as well play them, depending on how it shakes out. Those are the two biggest things that I've heard talked about. Have you heard any of those? Um, yeah, I mean, I heard in response... I mean, yeah, the stadium thing is pretty... I think that would apply to every... I mean, teams like the Marlins would obviously probably improve their hitting because they're not playing in Marlins. So like, the stadium thing applies to all all different teams, but... Um, yeah, in terms of prospects, I did hear that. I think they actually might have passed it. Um, but I know the uh, MLBPA, I think, struck a deal to where if there was no season, um, or even I think if there's an abbreviated season, that players would not be um, penalized for that lost playing time. So like, if, if there were no season at all, then contracts would just basically roll over to next year and resume as is. Um, and I, I don't know how that tech, I, I think that's more so in terms of players that are on team control. I don't know how that would apply to like, if you have somebody extended through 2024, I don't know if they're now extended through 2025 or what. Um, but as far as like prospects are concerned, they wouldn't lose a year of, um, team control to my knowledge. Um, so yeah, I mean that could, that could go a number of different ways. I, I think it still could turn out to where you have more call ups because you're gonna have. I mean, you you generally have September call ups anyways in a regular season, um, but if you're not risking, you know, if you have only 80 games to to make a case to, you know, give your team separation to make the playoffs, um, and you you're not looking at a prospect, you know, accumulating a hundred plus days of service time, service time or what have you. So, uh, some teams sure. may just do that. Like, Hey, why not? He's the best player at this position in our organization. Let's call him up and give ourselves a better chance at playoffs. Um, so it could, it could cut both yep. ways for sure. But yeah, I mean, I, I think some of the other things that I've just kind of looking at it and it as, as these proposals and ideas have changed, um, I mean, at the very least, I think with an 80-game season, same for regular MLB teams, for our fantasy purposes, like there's a lot less margin for error. So there's going to be um, a lot less leniency as far as 
teams trying to make the playoffs in our league for teams that have slow starts or, you know, have a slump for a month or several weeks in the middle of the year, what have you. Um, because you have half of a season essentially to create enough separation from the playoff pack to establish yourself in one of our, our six playoff seeds. Um, I think the, the biggest thing that comes out of it, there's probably two things that come out of it that really drastically um, alter the fantasy landscape for, for this season. Um, one, dealing with players that were injured or suspended. So I think any player you had that was dealing with an injury, looking at missing the first season or two or first month or two of the season, um, they that's no longer a concern. Like a lot of them are already ready to go, ready to face live pitching or live batting. Um, so I, I think unless you own like a Chris Sale or a Noah Syndergaard who just underwent Tommy John surgery, um, sure. other other players that are dealing with injury aren't really a liability anymore because they're returning for essentially a full season now, even though it's an unabbreviated season. On the, the flip side of that, the players that are serving suspensions, I mean, yeah, some of them may not even up. see the field. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, some of them may not even see the field. I mean, because like, like you mentioned, Drager, he has he picked up Domingo Herman, who has sixty three games left. Um, Michael Pineda, who's on waivers currently, but he's got thirty nine games left, which could ultimately be like half of this season. Uh, and then Emmanuel Clays, who um, I think is owned by either Matt or Brennan, I can't remember, but he's he's got an eighty game suspension just from a recent PED suspension. So. Um, he's looking at missing the entire year. So, I mean, that on the flips, you know, injured players probably get a boost in value. Anybody who's got a suspension could be essentially useless this year. Um, I think the second, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this one, the second biggest implication I could see um, coming from the abbreviated season would be how real-life teams use pitching and how that applies to our fantasy league because it could go, I mean, one of two ways really that I see either – teams um, rely more heavily on the bullpen because there's only 80 games. So they say, hey, let's not worry about this fourth, fifth starter who's not really talented. Let's just rely heavily on our top three pitchers or our top four pitchers and then have one or two bullpen days in a rotation. Um, you, we've only got 80 games, so we're not putting, you know, we're not straining all, all these pitchers' arms with more innings than they would have in a full season. Um, or on the flip side, they could say, hey, let's, instead of having – you know, 13 man bulb, you know, 13 pitchers instead of having like a seven or eight man bullpen, let's just ride five pitchers, give them as many innings as they can. We'll have, you know, four or five reliable relief pitchers and then have some extra batters to use situationally throughout the season. Um, so I, either way, I think that whether it's relying more heavily on, you know, their top three pitchers and using more relief pitchers or what have you, I think regardless that it's, it's going to cause ripple effects that make pitching even more valuable in our league for this season. There's already kind of a scarcity out there for starting pitching. Um, and so if teams were to turn to just say, Hey, let's do a three man or a four man rotation and do bullpen days the other one or two days in the, in the turn. Um, that means a lot of pitchers that are currently owned are going to be drastically less valuable um, or on the vice versa. You know, if, if relief pitchers get used less than, you know, maybe uh, holds aren't quite as valuable this season because you don't have as many relief pitchers getting those opportunities for holds. They're just relying on, you know, the, the closers more so. So, I mean, yeah, what, what would your your take on that be? How do you see that shaking out? Uh, yeah, I would 
I would definitely prefer it to be like five starting pitchers that all go six to seven innings a game and then just a few relievers. Mm-hmm. Partly because I don't have relievers on my fantasy <laughs> team and partly because relievers always burn me. So I'm, I really hate closers and relievers in general. <laughs> I think it'll pan out the other way, though. I think it's probably going to be your Jacob DeGroms and Clayton Kershaw's will get their games, but then the back of the bullpen or the back of the rotation will get sorted and may only pitch four or five innings with more relievers shuffling throughout their taxi squad or minor league squad or whatever it's going to be called. Yeah. And I think I also read they have, what, 30 man rosters. So just by default, you're going to have more roster spots that I, I think feel they like updated to 26. More pitchers. I, think, I know they expanded to 26. I thought I saw something that because the season was going to be shortened, they were actually going to go to 30. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think I might have heard. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there's a lot so of different ways. I got to think that's four more relievers, two righties, two lefties. And I think they, like I said, you give your studs, your top two or three pitchers go six innings and everyone else is lucky if they get to five because you have so many arms that you can sub in and out now. Yeah, exactly. That's how I think it's going to turn out. Yeah. So that could really end up hurting a lot of teams in our league um, based on kind of just already the scarcity of starting pitching, but a lot of teams really um, kind of seem to be struggling with starting pitching depth based on, I mean, even just some of the trades we saw last year where teams were just, you know, throwing a King's ransom at a, at somebody just to get a, a better starting pitcher on their roster. Um, yeah. So kind of, I, I mean, uh, I think all the, I think all the borderline guys are going to just tank in value. If that's the case, all the streaming guys, all the yeah. startable, but not excited about it. Guys, they go from six innings and seven strikeouts to like four and a half innings and five strikeouts now. And that's a pretty big difference when that's mm-hmm. over half of your, your pitcher roster, which is the case for most of the team. Yeah. But I mean, on the flip side, it also could mean, you know, he, yeah, like you said, your Jacob DeGroms, your Max Scherzer's, those guys are still going to get theirs. But um, even in terms of like the, you know, there's some teams that may have a, a fourth or fifth pitcher that's pretty good, but just ends up not getting many innings. Like, uh, um, you know, you think of teams like the Dodgers who seem to always have uh, just this plethora of starting pitchers that they can use throughout the season. Um, you you may start seeing less of those guys in favor of the bullpen, even though some of those guys are worth owning and really talented pitchers, as opposed to, you know, you, you still look at teams like the Orioles or the Marlins or the Tigers. They're bad teams, but they have to trot somebody out there to get those innings. So you might have, you know, guys like that are their top two, three, four pitchers that are not exciting at all, but all of a sudden they're much more valuable because they're, they're getting the innings and they're getting the quality starts and the strikeouts that you kind of need. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out with strategy and um, how, to, how it impacts different rosters and the matchups this year. Um, yeah. Kind of rolling off of that and talking on that point of, you know, te- rosters and team construction and such. Um, kind of the next thing I wanted to hit on was uh, the power rankings that I posted the other day on the Facebook page. Um, I used, uh, Rotowire who, um, there's this tool that they have where you can, it's through, I have like a, something for fantasy football, like a a paid subscription that I use for Rotowire and a couple other sites together as a bundle. But through them, I always, you know, it's nice to link the baseball league that we, that I have. And so I linked that and I just want to see kind of what some of the things they offered. And I saw they had the power rank and things like, Oh, that's cool. I'll give it a shot. And so I looked at that, and I was disappointed to see that I wasn't the top team. <laughs> but it was, it was cool to see a breakdown because, I mean, they're 
projections are different than ESPNs. They're different than projections that even I prefer to look at. Um, but it uses RotoWire's projections. It's kind of based on, it's it's based on our roster s- sizes and setups and our categories that we used. Um, they did their rankings are based on like a roto style league, which instead of being singular head to head matchups, it would be you being matched up with the entire league every week, essentially. Um, so it's still kind of a head to head element to it to see who's overall the strongest teams. Um, but just kind of running down and, and that I posted that picture on a Facebook page for, for the, the guys that are on the page and um, that didn't see it, but it basically gave every team a grade zero to a 100 um, based on, uh, the individual grades of the players that you had and your overall roster strength um, that those players' grades helped contribute to. Um, and it's and it's all kind of stemming from RotoWire's projections. And so they give certain weights to, like, stolen bases are a lot more hard to come by in bunches than home runs are. So stolen bases tend to help weight a player's grade higher um, and, you know, things like that. But essentially it uses all that, gives every team a grade from zero to 100. And so going down the list, Cody, your team was the top in the league in their power rankings. You had a perfect score of 100. Um, My team came in second. I was behind you with a score of 86.7. Uh, and then there's a pretty steep drop off behind the two of us. It goes to Drager's team at third place in the power rankings. He gets a score of 57.2. Uh, and then there's this cluster of like four teams behind him. So you have um, you have Matt, Brennan, Justin, and Clayton, all with scores in the 40s. Matt has a 46.7. Brennan has a 44.7. Justin has a 44.2 and Clayton of 42.8. So all of them are within like four points of each other, and all four of them are fighting for, in, in this um, power ranking, fighting for the last three playoff spots in our league. Uh, and then there's another bit of a drop-off. It has uh, Attaway coming in at eighth with 28.8 points, and then Tyler and Bradley rounding us out, Tyler with 21.4 and Bradley with 15.6 Um Obviously, a huge spread going from 100 to points for yourself to 15 for Bradley. Um, there's that cluster in the middle. What did you make of that power ranking? Kind of, would you agree with it largely? Do you think there's things you would change to that? Yeah, not to be a cop out, but this is like almost the exact ranking that I would have given it. I probably would have taken some of Drager's lead and given it to Attaway, and mm-hmm. I really see it as us two at the top, uh, Tyler and Bradley at the bottom is clearly rebuilding, reloading, waiting. And then the middle six are, I think, really neck and neck with each other. And depending a couple injuries and a couple breakouts, I could see any of those six at the top of that pack and any of those six at the bottom of that pack. So this is pretty much how I would have it. I'm not sure, like I said, about the middle order. I probably would have flipped a couple of those teams around, but those tiers are, yeah, exactly how I see it. So. I don't know what projections RotoWire uses, but pretty close to what I had in my head coming into the season. Yeah, I think they have their own like staff um, generated projections, uh, which some of them from I was just kind of briefly looking over them because I hadn't really looked at theirs before, and I know they help supply like news updates and different things to so, like Yahoo Sports and ESPN, and they're like a pretty big provider yeah. for other sites. Um, but I hadn't really ever looked at their projections. From what I could tell, some of them seem to be 
a little more um, inflated than what you might see on other sites. Um, but obviously that also kind of depends on, you know, the player or what have you. You know, everybody's higher on certain players than, than other people might be. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, all, all that to say, they're a respectable site, so their projections aren't entirely whack. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I could see that. I I think Attaway probably is a little closer um, – to that pack, but, uh, I don't know. I, I think they're, yeah, like you said, I think their rankings were pretty accurate. It was pretty interesting to see that and to see like a score applied to it. Um, just to see kind of what the separation is between different teams based on their roster makeup, uh, and kind of speaking of roster makeup and looking at this power rankings and I figured it'd be, um, be kind of cool for you and I just kind of breeze through all the teams in the league, uh, and just to kind of highlight what we think, you know, we have um, the potential of having a, a season this year. You know, we were just talking about an, an abbreviated season. It's looking more and more likely starting in July. Um, and so I, I get the sense that a lot of guys in the league, you know, myself included at times, different stretches, just haven't really paid attention um, because there's not been any baseball being played. You know, there's not really much of a reason to pay attention. Um and so it, now that we are kind of looking at like we'll have baseball by July um, or in July, uh, I thought it could be maybe helpful for other, uh, you know, other guys in the league just to hear um, us kind of not super nitpicky, but just kind of overview of their teams, what their team's strengths and weaknesses are, uh, what we think they maybe have surplus in, whether that be positional surplus or a surplus in a certain category um, and what we think they're, needs are that they could potentially use that surplus to to help fill either by trading or um, if they just have a surplus of a bunch of you know random you know starting pitchers or what have you maybe they could drop one of them to help pick up somebody on waivers to fill that a need that they have elsewhere um so i figured we could just blitz through that run through in order top to bottom of the power rankings uh we can just alternate going team by team and so I'll, I'll kick us off and just kind of go through your team and um just kind of some notes that i made and you can you might disagree or, or agree or what have you um but yeah i mean kind of looking over your team you've got a and we've i think i talked about this a little bit on one of the more recent pods either of last season or um, the first one for this year but yeah i mean you've got an incredibly well-balanced team i was a huge proponent of your team last year, particularly in the second half when you were, um, you've had, you'd had a really bad stretch of bad luck. Um, and I was anticipating you going on a tear in the second half and then you, you did, you ended up doing really well, making the playoffs, climbing in the seedings. Um, so you've got an incredibly balanced team. Um, I think for you overall, like you're, you're batting just overall top to bottom is a strength for you. You don't have a single position, um, that I could tell that is, you know, lacking in your lineup. I think you've got enough depth and enough, uh, high end talent really to plug in at every single spot there for the most part, um, with very few, uh, exceptions, um, on the surplus. I mean, like you said, you hate closers. You, you've been burned by relievers the past few seasons, which relief pitching is extremely volatile. So, um, happens to, to all of us really but yeah I mean yeah you've kind of 
steered clear of relief pitching. And so, I mean, honestly, I, that's the only weakness I could identify in your team is just the lack of relief pitching. You're um, essentially just that one category of save holds that you're not going to win any given week um, unless you just happen to get a, a stray save hold against another team that has zero relief pitchers. But so that's the only really weakness that I could identify in your team. Um, kind of the way you went about it when you dropped all your, your relief pitchers, you, you started adding a lot of extra starting pitchers, which was, I think, the way to go about that if you're going to do it at all. But so you, you do have a, a, a surplus of starting pitchers, in my opinion. You know, you have a lot of extra arms, um, some that are kind of younger guys that you're just rolling dice on for upside. But you have enough established, um, solid, young veteran arms Um that I think if you ever needed to, if you or you even wanted to, like you could easily trade some of those starting pitchers, um, and possibly even I don't I possibly drop one or two um, to fill other needs. Uh, and, and the only needs that I could really identify in your team, I think, saves hold, like I mentioned, as well as stolen bases. Um, I saw. D Gordon's been your guy for the past several years in, in terms of stolen bases. Um, but I think, I mean, things might have changed, but earlier in the offseason, you know, spring training, I was seeing that um, the Seahawks manager and GM were saying that um, Shed Long was going to be the starting everyday second baseman. And this is, and so a lot of projections have D Gordon getting squeezed for playing time and not really um, getting much opportunity to, to run the bases and steal bases for you this year, which... Um, which means you're really then relying on um, a handful of guys that give decent production, you know, closely five to ten steals. But otherwise, you you got Ronald Acuna who gets you a ton of steals, um, and then Benintendi and Ozzy Albies who can get you, you know, a dozen, um, or at least that's their projection. Uh, and so, and, and Garrett Hampson, depending on his playing time, he's projected for twenty right now with ESPN, but. You know, there's it, it just depends if he plays. So that's the only thing I could see start stolen stolen bases. Um, you know, if Hampson and um, D Gordon especially don't get playing time and aren't getting those steals, uh, I could see that being a position of weakness. But really, the only position of weakness in terms of your batting categories as well. Um, it's kind of moving on down the list if you want to run through my team you can eviscerate my roster sure um <laughs> so i'll probably go quicker than you i don't think i did as much details as you um but notes i have for that team let me pull it up yeah i said you were strong on reliever not just compared to me but compared to the league as a whole i think you have one of the best lockdown i think you got like two or three top five closers and then you got a couple more like depth guys. So, assuming you don't trade all of those, you're pretty set to win the steal, the save hold category every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said your weakness, as far as compared to the rest of your team, was outfielders and potentially the home run category. Uh, not to say that you're going to be in the bottom half of the league in either of those, but compared to the rest of your roster, that was what I thought was weakest. You have a surplus of shortstops. I want to say you have what Lindor. I'm going to pull it up. You got Lindor, and then. Bragman, I think, is still shortstop eligible. Yeah. And then you have a couple other guys there. So, like, even getting rid of one of those superstars, you'd still have another superstar. Bregman, Tatis, Lindor, like, 
you know, you have three of the top four or five shortstops. Uh, so definitely, if you had to make a a big a big time trade, you'd probably want to get rid of one of the shortstops since you have three of them. Mm-hmm. And then you need, I said, more youth starting pitcher because you have what uh, you got Flaherty and you got Clevenger who I love, but then the other big names you have are Sale, Paxton, and Kluber who are all like pushing age or perpetually injured. Yeah. So while I'm not really worried about this year or next year, in three years it could just be Clevenger and Flaherty and then you're banking on Wheeler turning into a top 20 guy or Kenta Maeda somehow staying magical. Uh, I'm not seeing it depth-wise in a couple of years, but yeah. for this year and next year, I don't really have any issues with your roster. You're probably a solid top two team. Yeah, I'd agree. The pitching depth is kind of where I feel um, vulnerable. But um, kind of moving down the list, uh, Drager, the third team in those projections, the notes that I had for him, um, I think his strengths are in his his batting lineup, particularly in the categories of average uh, OPS and home runs. He's got um, a lot of hitters that – you know, have a, a really good, respectable average, 270, 280 or higher. Um, but he's also got a ton of, you know, batters that he's got a hand, two or three guys that are projected 40 home runs, a handful of others that are projected uh, 35 or 30. And so um, I think there's a, a drop off after those few guys, but overall, I think he's got a lot of good power hitters as well. Uh, his weakness is. I identified them as second base and starting pitching. Um, he's been admittedly openly looking for second base for a while. He made a trade without a way to get Robinson Cano. I don't think that Cano and Cesar Hernandez necessarily fill that void. Um, and then starting pitching, um, I just he's got some good starting pitchers, but he he also traded away a lot of very talented starting pitchers last year, and I just don't I wouldn't feel super inspired to have confidence in the rotation. I think it just probably needs more depth than anything there just to round it out. Um, if he were to make moves, I think a surplus is in shortstop. He's got like six or seven shortstops. Um, he's got a ton of prospects as well, which you and I can touch on in a bit here, but, um, you know, the odds are the majority of those prospects aren't going to be playing at all this year. And so, um, he's got a lot of those that could be value on the trade market. Uh, I, I identify his needs as relief pitching. He doesn't ha- have any relief pitching, so he's um, and he's pretty short on pitching as is. So he's not just losing out on those saves and holds, but a lot of valuable strikeouts, a lot of valuable um, innings to help lower ERA and WHIP. Uh, and like I said, just probably more starting pitching depth. Um, next on the list, uh, Matt Weenie Hut Jr. Um, did you have any notes for him? Yeah. So I got Matt Strength as power bat with Andujar, Aaron Judge, uh, Gary Sanchez, Charlie Blackman in Colorado if he's hitting it right, Anthony Rendon, Jose Abreu last year had a resurgent season. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm digging the power. I'm not sure he's got the whole batting down, but definitely the home runs will play the RBI and OPS, like you said. Um, his weakness, I've got shortstop for sure. The only shortstop I see on his roster is Tim Anderson. And while Tim Anderson is definitely a noteworthy like fantasy starter, he's far from a stud and he's far from a sure thing. And I definitely prefer to have at least one or two backups, preferably like a what's the guy for the Rays, the prospect that's super hot, uh, Wander Franco. Wander Franco. Yeah. 
yeah, I wouldn't mind having him on the bench just in case he gets called up this year. That'd be like a good secondary option. But to only have Anderson as your only shortstop, uh, I would I would look to fix that somehow. Yeah. Um, his surplus, he's got a lot of mid-range starting pitcher, which, like we said, if the uh, if the change goes through in the shortened season and those guys lose a lot of value, that's going to suck for this team specifically. I feel like Mano's got a lot of like top. 30 to top 60 range starting pitchers that you would normally start as like your third, fourth, fifth pitcher. Uh, so we, I'm hoping that that doesn't impact him too much, like a, an Eflin or a Tanaka, Yamamoto, if he has a decent season like he did last year. Like Those guys are good, but not great, but not terrible. They're just kind of average. Yeah. Uh, so I would say he's got a lot of those. If he can package two of them and get a better guy for a team that has no depth, then that could help that other team out. And then he needs an outfielder that actually plays outfield. He's got quite a few outfielders, but I think a lot of them are going to be losing eligibility. I think Soler is going to be a DH only. I think J.D. Davis might play third base. I don't know what Danny Santana plays, but like a lot of his outfielders that have other positions, Whit Merrifield I think could be a, go back to just second base and not get the outfield play uh, position next year. So he's, he's fine for this year, but next year without the moves, I think he could be scraping thin at outfield. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the dual eligibility is certainly nice and helpful until you don't have it anymore. Um, next on the list is uh, Brennan's team, Middleburg Medium Shrimp, which I am a huge fan of his team name. It's hilarious. Um, I identified his strength as starting pitching. Um, I think he uh, he benefited a lot. He made a lot of pretty good trades um, to help improve his pitching last year. Um, I don't know that he was necessarily even seeking it out i think a lot of trades might have come to him from other people looking for something else but he benefited he made some pretty savvy moves he's got really good pitching depth i think some really solid um you know top tier guys as well to, to anchor that staff uh i identify his weakness as catcher um he's got i think two different catchers on the roster right now i can look up who they were but um neither's really a, a very um, I don't know, fantasy potent option. He's got James McCann and uh, Sean Murphy. Who Sean Murphy's prospect for Oakland. He's gotten a little. He got a little bit of buzz in the offseason before um, things got shut down. But uh, I mean, I think there's you know at least a handful of catchers out there that I would feel more comfortable starting. You know, once this season does come around, as well as other teams out there that have. Um, one or two catchers that he could probably trade for. Um, beyond that, his surplus, I I think he's got a, a good surplus of middle infielders, so second base, shortstop eligible guys. Um, and, you know, he could, he could easily – that's a position that a lot of other teams are lacking. You know, I think we've named already here a few that are short there. Um, so he could easily use that. I identify his needs as um, average and home runs. He doesn't have a lot of – guys that can really boost his average. He has a lot of guys that tend to struggle with the average. Um, not a ton of home runs that I was noticing across his lineup, or at least projected. Uh, and then his starting pitching depth. Um, while I think he has strong starting pitching, uh, I think probably towards the back end, a lot of question marks, a lot of guys that could end up burning him. Um, it never hurts to shore that up, especially when you can get it for free off waivers at, at times, you know. Um Moving on to Justin's team, what notes do you have for Justin? Yeah, Justin's team seems uh, the same same feel to it it's had 
since he's been in the league. Uh, his strength is steals. I think he has traded aggressively and done his best to get as many steals as he could. Mm-hmm. Uh, his weakness I got for starting pitcher if his prospects don't pan out. He's got quite a few big-name prospects that I personally do think will pan out, yeah. uh, but they're a prospect because they're unproven. So until they put it together for a whole season, I don't know how really reliable that is. Uh, his strength is outfield and multi-positional guys. He's got quite a few above-average outfielder, and he's also got a lot of flexibility in moving his roster around with all kinds of different alignments. Uh, he's got quite a few multi-position guys. And then the need, I said, was just like steady veterans. He's got all prospects or super volatile young guys that, yeah, I love what uh, Alberto Mondesi did two years ago. I'm not sure I love what he did last year, and I don't know what the heck to expect from him this year. So I it's hard to pick Justin as a, a top team and competitor when I don't know what 70% of his roster is going to do day to day. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Um, yeah. Moving on to Clayton's team. I think you could probably say so. Clayton's done a good job of uh, getting younger players where he once had a team that was full of veterans that he um, inherited. And so he's, he's done a good job of rounding out that roster and, infusing some youth into it uh i think he's got a really solid lineup i identified his his batting as one of his strengths particularly in terms of home runs and kind of the power stats he's got a lot of pretty solid power hitters um his relief pitching as well he's one of the few teams that has um a really solid stable of relief pitching you know i think he's got five or six relievers and every single one of them is projected close to 30 save holds so he's he, he's got a pretty reliable group there um i don't think he's going to lose that category many weeks uh weaknesses for him that i identified uh shortstop which is one he's he's been looking to fill that spot for a while he's got two young guys Luis urias and uh, someone else who he's kind of hoping oh he picked up um the current shortstop for uh, the the Rays. He's kind of hoping they can fill it out, maybe take a step forward this year, or at least be a stopgap. But uh, I, I think he's pretty shallow at stolen bases as well. Um, and he he has some really solid top tier pitching, but his um, his depth behind guys like Max Scherzer is a little suspect and um, probably better than most teams in the league. But it's it's one of the other spots on his roster that could be shored up and help him potentially get more wins um, and, and maybe create separation from that little cluster in the middle. Um, his surplus, he's got a lot of good power hitters, a lot of home run hitters, so he could maybe part with home runs and, and not be affected that much in terms of his starting lineup. Um, and I do think he has a good number of starting pitchers. So the surplus in starting pitching may not be quality, but perhaps guys that he could you know drop and not, really miss and, and pick up somebody better on waivers or what have you, or package guys together for a trade. Um, and I identified his needs um, as, you know, stolen bases uh, and more just improved starting pitching depth, not necessarily more depth, but a higher quality depth. Um, moving on to Attaway's team, what uh, was your evaluation of his team as you were looking at him? Yeah. Um, for Attaway, again, his strength is first base, partly because Freddie Freeman is the best first baseman in the league, but also Max Muncy's no slouch. Uh, I like DJ LeMahieu actually as a, a decent uh, under-the-radar guy. And Daniel Murphy, if he could ever 
put together the magic he had in Washington could be a, a decent depth guy. So he's he's really got quite a few first base pieces there. I uh, got his weakness as outfield. Obviously, Christian Yelich is a top two or three outfielder, but then after that, like his other six or seven options there, I'm not super sold on any of those guys as even average, let alone above average. So yeah. I would definitely try to find some piece there to maybe build up another one or two decent outfielders, not even top-tier outfielders, just like top 30 guys instead of top 60 guys. Yeah. Uh, surplus I got as relief pitcher. Um, we've, we've gone through the league now. You see there's probably three teams that are punting saves entirely and then like three teams between you and him and Clayton that have like locked down on saves and then you got like four teams in the middle that have, you know, maybe – I don't know, two decent relievers and then another one-and-a-half decent reliever. So the fact that Chris has like three or four or five guys, I think he could probably sell one of those to the middle team and still be better than all the middle teams. So you could flip a reliever, keep his standings, and save holds and be able to add, like you said, a, an outfielder or something that would help his roster out more than holding on to that, which almost happened last year. I was right at the uh, cusp of getting Kimbrel before he came back uh, but I didn't pull the trigger at the end of it. I probably should have. But I think Chris could probably make that move this year, selling one of his. He's got Hader. He's got Will Smith. He's probably going to get the saves in Atlanta. He's got Kimbrel still, who's decent. He's got Adovino, who hopefully will put together some good holds. Mm-hmm. Um, Sergio Romo seems like he always somehow gets the closer job. <laughs> yeah. So he could probably flip one of those guys for a decent startable outfielder that would help out his roster a lot more than winning the saves category every week by 10 yeah. different saves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and kind of moving into the the last two teams, rounding out the league and that the power rankings there. Um, Tyler's team, uh, he's a guy who's been pretty aggressive with trades and pickups. He's made some really savvy moves. He's made some moves that have been criticized, um, but I think just about every move he's made has generally worked out for him pretty well. Um, I think his strengths are definitely strikeouts. He's got um, his his top three starting pitchers on his roster are all really solid guys. He's got a lot of guys that get a ton of strikeouts, even if they don't get a ton of innings necessarily. Um, his weakness, he, he's one of the teams that, like you said, is just booting relief pitching. I think it was a smart move for him when he did it. He really only had Aroldis Chapman when he inherited that team. Um, so he traded him. Um, and then just started focusing on, hey, let me get as many other pitchers and hitters and just see if I strike gold on any of them. Uh, and so it's worked out for him in that turn, in that regard. Um, I do think he, as he's been rebuilding, um, and as would be the case for any team that's rebuilding, uh, kind of would benefit from more depth, uh, both batting and pitching, um, just kind of increasing that quality that comes with what he's been doing though as a rebuilding team, just kind of rolling the dice on players though. Um, his surplus, uh, as he, he's rebuilding, so it makes sense he has a surplus of prospects. Um, I think he's got a ton of outfielders. None of them, uh, not none of them, but majority of them are not um, like top 15, top 20 guys. Um, just a lot of like kind of solid players top 30 to 60 um but he's got a lot of them and he could easily package some together for trades if he has had a player in mind that he really liked and wanted to go for um he's also got a a good amount of middle infield eligible guys shortstop second base guys um in his need um i think he really could benefit from continuing to improve that starting pitching depth and who he has there um 
And I, I think he's honestly closer to competing than what those power rankings gave him credit for. Uh, I think if he were to make some moves and get some really quality relief pitching, um, that would benefit not just the save holds category, but his strikeouts, his ERA and all that. Um, I think he could be closer to that cluster of teams fighting for a playoff spot than what those projections had him or what those uh, power rankings had him. Um, and then rounding out the league with Bradley's team, um, what what notes did you have on Bradley's team when you were looking at him? Yeah, for Bradley, I got his strength as average, as in batting average. And yeah. Usually along with that comes decent runs, decent RBIs, decent uh, – OPS because you get on base quite a bit, and then oftentimes good average guys are also stolen base guys. I don't see too much power here, but he's pretty balanced in the hitting categories. I don't really mind much of what I'm seeing. It's a little old from his starting lineup. Uh, He's got some names in there that I think could start degrading here shortly, but for the next season or two, it's a pretty well-balanced hitting uh, lineup. I got his weakness as saves and holds. He's got Brad Hand and Dellen DePanzis, who I'm a fan of both of those guys, but that's about it. Uh, Doolittle, uh, we'll, we'll see if he pans out this year, but with with that, I would say either trade someone to get like one more stud closer or trade one or two of those guys and just keep like one to beat the teams that are punting it completely. But where he's at now, I feel like he's kind of in no man's land of half competing, half not competing, and I would either commit one way or the other as far as saves and holds. Yeah. Um, his strength is usable starting pitcher, similar to, I think it was Mano, who's got a lot of, like, depth, middle-of-the-road guys. I see the same thing with Bradley here. Almost all of his pitchers I wouldn't mind starting. Uh, there are a few that I'm really excited about with Soroka and McCullers, but then just about everyone else is, okay, you know, they're above average. I don't mind seeing them on my roster. That's not terrible, so I've yeah. Maybe try to package a couple of those or package one of those in your reliever and see if you can get uh, something good for it, which in my case, I think I would try to get a lockdown starting pitcher if I were him, Mm -hmm. see if I could trade one of the mediocre starting pitchers and a good reliever and get like a top 20 starting pitcher back or maybe a uh, like an older one that one of the teams is trying to get rid of, some guy that's 35 that's still really good but may only have one or two seasons left and see Mm -hmm. if there's a way to swing that uh, if he wants to compete this year otherwise package a, a, a decent starting pitcher and try to get a good prospect back if he wants to punt it till next year. Yeah, it's crazy. I was thinking about it earlier um, earlier today when you and I were kind of talking through the, the podcast and our talking points. Uh, I guess this time last year, or really like the, you know, the, the preseason of last year, we were talking about Bradley being a dark horse for the playoffs because we really liked his roster. We thought he had some really – good upside plays at starting pitching and a handful of those guys actually did pan out and uh his his lineup looked pretty solid and he just had such terrible luck with you know a ton of injuries that ravaged his team um and guys like Salvador Perez and a lot of his pitchers got injured the pitchers that he was you know excited about got injured um and then that paired with like a lot of these really you know respectable players maybe not elite but respectable fantasy players like Justin Smoke and Mitch Moreland and other guys had like their worst seasons of their career all at the same time last year when they all happened to be on his roster. So he just had some terrible luck last year. But it's, yeah, like you're saying, it's kind of put him in this position where he's still got a lot of those guys on his roster. And if they bounce back to previous um, levels of production, he could compete. But it, it has him kind of cornered and 
looking like he's maybe on the verge of rebuild. It just, like you said, it, it depends which side of the fence he, the wind blows him on or he, he decides to fall on. Um, but yeah, like you're saying, he's a team that, you know, he's got some good relief pitchers, kind of volatile guys, but guys that are valuable, he could trade them and improve starting pitching and kind of do what Tyler did, boot, boot saves and holds and just focus on trying to strike gold on other starting pitchers and other players. Um, you know, he's got some pretty respectable veterans who I think he could trade and get some value out of and, and kind of, like you're saying, he's got a lot of veteran guys. He could easily make that roster younger with more upside and he could rebound in two to three years. But I mean, a lot of these guys, him himself included, it's their first time doing dynasty. So it's just one of those weird things where it's like, you're not necessarily used to doing that when you do fantasy football, for example, you know, um, Sure. Um, so kind of as we close up the episode, there were a few things I wanted to touch uh, relatively quickly. Um, as we we're going through the teams, we said, you know, like we highlighted, there were three different teams that currently have no relief pitchers or zero projected saves at all or holds on their roster. You have, I think, two projected holds from Alex Reyes, but I don't think that's even going to be the case. I don't think he's going to be used that way necessarily um yeah i don't know if it'll be on my roster either yeah and so there's uh, kind of like we said um there's there was kind of a wave at the end of last season where a lot of teams started dropping relief pitchers and just booting that one category seemingly booting that one category um as well as there's a lot of other a lot of teams that um at the end of last season more than we've seen any of the previous years just started stockpiling on um, prospects and just getting a ton of bench hitters, having a, like seven or eight, you know, six, seven, eight bench hitters. Uh, so I kind of want to talk about those two strategies real quick, give our quick hits on that, what we think the benefits are. Um, so I kind of relay it to you. Like you are a guy that is currently employing the no saves holds strategy. What led you to do that? What um, were the benefits that you saw? And kind of how did you go about it that made you justify doing it? Uh, yeah, I got burned a bunch the first two years by that position. Uh, I spite dropped a bunch of them or traded them. Uh, I think I ended with like maybe one or two semi-valuable guys that I was able to flip for something else. Um, I plan to try to find some on the waiver wire this year. Full disclosure, I think the best strategy is to have two really good closers and then fill the rest out with starting pitcher. Because like, I'm not going to get four or five to be you and Clayton. But if I just had two, not even average, but at least above average or really good guys, then I think I could beat probably five to six teams every week in the saves hold. And with the rest of my roster filled out with starting pitching, I should be able to win K's, quality starts, wins. So I, I wouldn't mind. Like I said, last year I almost pulled the trigger and got Kimbrell right before he came back. And I think the optimal route is to get two really good pitchers in our current format with the, the current landscape of people punting. But until that happens, uh, yeah, I'd rather just punt the category altogether and win every other category at pitching, which is pretty much what I did down the stretch at the end of last year. I was winning, I think, four or five of the six pitching categories for like the last two months of the season. Uh, and if you have really good starting pitchers, you can do that. If you don't, uh, I would probably, like I said, invest a little bit to get some some kind of elite talent or two and save holds because it looks like three to four teams are doing what I'm doing or close to it where they only have like one semi-good closer. And in that case, all it takes is one or two elite ones and you win that category every week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I definitely see that. I think that 
you it seems like you and Tyler did it right uh, for different reasons. You were in the middle of being a competitive team. Um, projections for that uh, power those power rankings really like your team, so you're still expected to be a team in the middle of competing. Um, and you decided to boot saves holds, but like you said, the way you did it, you went out and you picked up extra starting pitchers, extra arms, um, and just you're trying to get the best group of starting pitchers that you can with those lost relief pitching slots, essentially. Um, whereas Tyler, he did a similar thing, but with the goal of rebuilding and trying to strike gold on some extra pitchers and to really build up a, a good stable of starting pitchers that he could rely on. Um, and then, you know, I think a, a couple other teams uh, started to try that and then just didn't drop all of their relief pitchers. Um, and then Drager went all in, dropped all of his, got rid of all his relief pitchers. Um, but what these other teams did is they went out and just got a ton of extra hitters. And so they have like six or seven or eight, you know, hitters that are just sitting on their bench Um which on, on the off season, whatever that, that nobody's getting stats in the off season, so it doesn't matter. But if you're to carry that into the regular season, those hitters aren't getting you any stats at all, meaningful, at least because they're not in your starting lineup. It's not like with starting pitchers where they're pitching one or two times a week, and then you're rotating them out with the guys you currently have on your bench to get stats those other days. Hitters are starting just about every day, um, and so if they're starting on your bench like those stats don't count at all um and so when i was kind of looking at it I, I did a little head math and um so if you were like a team that's booting saves holds uh let's say you drop you had four relief pitchers and you dropped every single one of them and you went out and picked up batters or what have you if those relief pitchers were even kind of average and so if they got each of them averaged 60 innings pitch they got about 80 strikeouts in those innings each got about 25 saves holds um, and each had an ERA around 3.5 with a whip around 1.2, which, you know, there's four categories that we count in our, in our league format um, in order to like the thought behind it for, I think some of these teams who are starting to follow in those footsteps of you and Tyler is that oh, I'm just booting one category. So I'm getting worse in just that one category. But if you're not replacing it with other pitchers, you're losing out on all of those other pitching stats. So you'd have to, if you wanted to replace those lost stats well, you would need to go out and get a, a collection of starting pitchers that's going to get you 320 strikeouts with a 3.5 ERA and 1.2 whip combined cumulatively, which looking at waivers, I don't see any collection of starting pitchers really that's going to get you that. And so... Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it'd be one thing if our league only counted saves. Um, but I think given that we count saves and holds combined, I really don't see much of a, unless it's really done well, like you feel like a team like yours, you can just stockpile a ton of really great starting pitchers, um, top to bottom. I don't see it paying off that much to entirely boot saves holds or if you're like rebuilding and you're like whatever I'm not competing anyways what's one other category but if you're competing if you're one of those four or five teams in the middle um, trying to solidify your your run to win your division or make the playoffs or what have you um, even just that one category makes a difference you know if you're if you're we have 
I don't know how many mat, 20 something matchups last year. So if you, that's 20 losses that you're giving yourself and that could be the difference between you, you winning your division or making playoffs or not. But also you're, you're taking a huge hit in all of those strikeouts you're losing. You're taking a huge hit in all of those clean innings that those guys are getting and adding up to help bring down your ERA and your whip. Um, and so you'd have to get some really quality pitching off waivers or off trade to really successfully replace the other stats that those relief pitchers are getting you. Um, and so like, yeah, like you said, you did it well, you went about it with that in mind. I don't think other teams have gone about it with that in mind. Um, they've kind of gone at it with trying to stockpile a bunch of extra bench hitters that are, have decent ownership and uh, ownership percentage for ESPN leagues, but aren't doing anything on your bench. Um, so yeah, I just thought that'd be interesting to talk about. It'd be interesting to hear other guys thoughts on that kind of, their rationale there i mean the only case i really think it's really feasible is if you're rebuilding because once one other category if you're not competing you know um kind of to close out the episode i thought we could blitz through just the best available free agents that we see out there um guys that we think absolutely should be owned um we just talked about relief pitching i think there's a ton of really solid relief pitchers out there that would be beneficial to any team. Um, I know Joe Jimenez and Keone Kaler are guys you dropped. Uh, Giovanni Gallegos is really solid. I think he's, especially if you want to stash Jordan Hicks on your IL, he's coming back this season. You should probably handcuff those two because one of them is going to be the closer for the Cardinals this season at any given point. And there's a whole slew of other guys that are getting holds for their teams and tons of strikeouts and getting like, ERAs below three that could really help a lot of teams. Um, so there's a lot of really good respectable relief pitchers. Uh, beyond the scope of relief pitchers, are there, are there any players out there, starting pitchers, position players, that you really think should be owned in our league right now? Um, yeah, let me pull it up. The, yeah, for the batters, um, I do kind of like Christian Walker. So there is one or two of the teams that I noted their weakness was first base. Mm-hmm. Um, Christian Walker is not going to be a superstar, but I think he could definitely be a serviceable player that you don't even have to do anything for. Just drop one of your players that you probably shouldn't already own, and you can have Christian Walker for free. Yeah. If he pans out, then you solved your problem. Um, I also like Carson Kelly. There's plenty of teams that have bad catchers because, in general, catchers is a bad position. Um, I wouldn't mind taking a flyer on Carson Kelly for the first month of the season and seeing how he pans out. I think he could be a workhorse that plays every day and has somewhat of a decent average. Uh, catchers usually have pretty bad counting stats, so yeah. even if he doesn't have good ones of those, he still could be a decent catcher because the position as a whole sucks. Um, there's a couple other guys down here that I liked. Nimmo uh, didn't do anything last year but had a lot of promise coming into the year, but I wouldn't be opposed to taking a flyer on him. Uh, like you said, a lot of these teams in our league have like six or seven bench bats. And of those, like three or four of them, in my opinion, really probably shouldn't be owned. Yeah. There's some guys in waivers here that I would much rather take a chance on uh, them breaking out than some of the, the bench bats that are currently held. Uh, oh, wow. I didn't know Buster Posey was on waivers. <laughs> uh, Polanco. I like Gregory Polanco. Uh, obviously not as anything special at this point. He's kind of, proven that he's not going to be the superstar we were hoping he would be, uh, but he could still be average or potentially even a little bit above average, mm-hmm. and you can have him for free right now off waivers yeah. instead of some of the B-tier prospects that you're hoping pan out to be <laughs> what Gregory Polanco kind of already is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, 
I agree. I think Christian Walker absolutely should be on. This is a guy that I think outperformed um, Paul Goldschmidt last year in fantasy. Like, I mean, he's a respectable first baseman. He's a guy who's going to get you close to 30 home runs. Good RBI number. Well, not in a shortened season, but in a full season, close to 30 home runs. Respectable average, good OPS and all that. And, yeah, I love Carson Kelly. I have been ever since the end of last season when I put out the first offseason um, – best available waiver wire players. Like I have been singing Carson Kelly's praises. I think he's going to be a breakout player um, this year. He already kind of had a, a bit of a breakout last year, um, but like I, he's, he was doing that with barely getting 50% of the reps behind the plate last year. So he's going to be the de facto number one catcher for them this year. And like, he's a stud. I mean, he's a guy who had a great prospect pedigree. He's only been in the league like two years and catcher is, notably the position that takes the longest to mature and progress as prospects into the majors. So if you're a team like Bradley that you have Salvador Perez coming off IL, a season long injury, and, you know, then like uh, another guy that's not really great at catcher or a team like Chris, who you've been waiting for Francisco Mejia to, to come into fruition as a player. Um, and you're trying to balance him out with a guy like Yanni Molina, who is on the downward arc of his career. I think, Carson Kelly makes a great second catcher that if he breaks out, you don't have to worry about the position anymore for teams like that. Um, and you kind of alluded to that teams that if you don't feel confident in catcher, Carson Kelly's great. I also like Trent Grisham. He didn't do great with the Brewers last season in his short um, time in the majors. Um, I added him. I just dropped him. That doesn't mean that he should be owned. Absolutely. But I liked him a lot because He's, for a young player who had his first exposure to major league pitching, has incredible um, plate discipline. Like, he does not swing and miss a lot, doesn't get a good, doesn't get a high strikeout rate, draws a lot of walks, gets on base a lot. And he's got a lot of good peripherals around that where he he's, he's like in the 93rd percentile across the major leagues for his sprint speed. So conceivably could get a lot of steals. He's got a, not a ton of power on tap, but decent enough pop to get you close to 20 home, 20 home runs i mean if you're a team like there's a lot of teams that are short on stolen bases this is a guy who could get you um you know he's going to be playing a lot could get you a lot of runs could potentially get you 10 to 15 steals uh close to 20 home runs um and and just be better all around than a lot of other players that are currently owned uh on the pitching side of things like we said it's it's pretty bleak um there's a lot of guys that could do decent. A lot of guys that had decent springs or what have you, but there's not a ton that are like must owns. I think based on last season, particularly guys that had really good breakouts in the second half of last season, each of these three guys I've highlighted in the recent um, best available waiver wire players um, articles that I put on the Facebook page. But I think Adrian Hauser, Anthony Disclafany, and Steven Matz, all three should absolutely be owned. We There's so many teams in the league that are, short on pitching, starting pitchings at a premium. Um, each of these guys are very respectable pitchers that are going to get you an ERA below four, at least based on what they did last season, the progression they made. Um, each of them certainly has limitations and, and things to be concerned about, but overall um, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better starting pitcher available on the waiver wire that could be an instant benefit to your team. Um but yeah, I mean, beyond that, that's all we have for this episode. Was there anything you wanted to add to close this out, Cody? Uh, 
Nope, not that I can think of. I look forward to beating everyone this next year <laughs> and hopefully coming out on top. Yeah, let's uh, let's hope, man. I'm I'm really looking forward to having my shot at a three peat this season. Um, but if I if I don't get it, then you know if I'm going to lose to anybody, I'd, I guess I'd want it to be you. <laughs> yeah, as long as it's not Drager. Yeah, anybody but Drager. We can all agree on that. That's our sign off for this episode. Hashtag anybody but Drager. All right, Cody. It was great chatting with you. Thanks for getting on the pod. Uh, thanks for giving your insight. Thanks for running this league as the commish. Um, looking forward to some baseball this year with you, man. Yeah, same. Have a good night, buddy. You as well. Talk to you later, pal.